in him, not in ourselves and not in religion, but in Jesus alone. Thank you for being such a great, gracious, kind, merciful God to us. We ask you to guide us in our study. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, where we finished last week was talking about servanthood based upon Paul's model of servanthood in Acts chapter 28. And I shared with you a quote from Navigators. Uh, Serving is one of the greatest challenges in the life of a disciple. Serving is one of the greatest challenges in the life of a disciple. And we might ask ourselves, well, why might that be? Why would serving be one of the greatest challenges in the life of a disciple? Well, that's where I want to pick up our study this morning, and that is to ask the question, why is serving difficult? Why is serving difficult? We've already looked at Paul's model of servanthood. A.T. Robertson, the great Greek scholar, said this about our passage, few things show Paul to better advantage than this incident. And what he's talking about is verses 1 to 3 of Acts 28, where we read, Once safely on shore, we found out that the island was called Malta. The islanders showed us unusual kindness. They built a fire and welcomed us all because it was raining and cold. Paul gathered a pile of brushwood. And as he put it on the fire, a viper driven out by the heat fastened itself on his hand. So we looked at Paul's model of servanthood based on Jesus' model of servanthood, which we looked at last week. We saw Jesus' example when he took the towel and washed the feet of his disciples of servanthood. So let's look at why is servanthood different, uh, difficult. There's a couple of reasons Number one, we, want, we would rather be served than serve others. Generally speaking, we would rather be served than serve others. Uh, that makes serving difficult. Secondly, to serve elevates others' needs ahead of our own. And sometimes it's difficult to get ours out of the way, isn't it? Sometimes it's difficult for us to put our needs aside so that someone else's need can be taken care of. And it makes it difficult to serve because we have to elevate others' needs ahead of ours. A third reason that we find serving difficult many times is that the low status of some service. Uh, Much service is secret service. Much service is done that no one else sees. Uh, They see the results of your service, but they don't see the service. It's not like being up front. It's not like being teaching a group of people. It's kind of a hidden service. And so the low status of some service makes it difficult to serve. Uh, it's not public enough, or uh, we consider it too menial. Uh, Leroy Imes says this in Daily Discipleship, A lot of Christians feel discouraged because they can't preach or sing or stand up in front of a group. Sometimes they begin to think their gifts and abilities don't count for much in the kingdom of God. Nothing could be further from the truth. Over the years, I've been involved in hundreds of Christian conferences and church meetings. And while the speaker often gets the most attention, it is usually someone else who deserves the most credit. 
Someone sent invitations, handled the registration, prepared the room, prayed for the Lord's blessing. The speaker stands on a platform of service provided by those who work unnoticed and out of sight. Whatever your gift, exercise it, he says. Rejoice in it, and the Lord will reward you in a wonderful way. Sometimes it's difficult to serve because our service is hidden, and for some reason we elevate public service above hidden service, and I am convinced that it's the hidden servants who are going to have the greatest mansions in heaven. Those who serve without the footlights, so to speak. Another reason that serving is difficult is that it interrupts our own pursuits. We have things we want to do. We have things we want to accomplish. And to serve others interrupts what we want to do. It interrupts our own pursuits. And that makes it difficult to serve. There may be many others, but the only other one I want to share this morning is this, and that is sometimes it's difficult to serve because it's easy to feel used by others. It's easy to feel used by others. And so sometimes that makes it difficult for us to serve. So the question then is on this whole uh, issue of service is what ways can we serve others? What ways can we serve others? And I want to share with you about five or six of them. Uh, the first way is found in Hebrews chapter 13, verses 1 and 2. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 1 and 2. In Hebrews 13, verses 1 and 2, we read this. Keep on loving each other as brothers. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing, some people have entered, uh, entertained angels without knowing it. Uh, the service of hospitality, the service of hospitality, uh, lo- literally we're talking about loving uh, strangers. And that was important in the book of Hebrews because you'll understand and you'll remember in the book of Hebrews, the problem is that the believers who had come out of Judaism, put their faith in Jesus Christ, had uh, experienced great persecution. They had experienced great difficulties. They were experiencing great difficulties in in life. And some of them were so discouraged, they were about to turn back, turn away. Turn away from their faith. And they were so discouraged. And so it was important to reach out to people. Uh, People... Uh, were discouraged also because they would lose their ties with their families. They would come to faith in Jesus Christ and their Jewish families would put them out, treat them as if they were dead. They would lose their jobs because often their jobs were tied to their Judaism. And so it was a difficult time. And so the writer of Hebrews is telling us to look out for people who are in that kind of need. Look out for people. We may not know them, We may not know them, but we need to be thinking about that. And sometimes it's interesting to think that the writer says that we might be entertaining angels without knowing it. Wouldn't that be something? Think about that. We might be entertaining angels. Some of the angels many of us have entertained uh, and, and spent our hospitality on are our missionaries. 
There are a number of us that have had the opportunity over the years when our missionaries come to give us reports here at the church to have them stay in our homes. That's always a treat. It's always a treat to have the missionaries stay. Not only do we get to, get to know them a little more personally, but we also get to know what's on their heart, what's happening in their, their ministries, uh, to see their families. Kathy and I have been blessed, for instance, with the Richards. I think we focused on them a couple of weeks ago on our bulletin cover uh, to have their two little babies in our home. Remember, uh, they had almost one right after the other, Cal and uh, Finn. And so uh, we were able to uh, practice our uh, grandparenthood on them, Kathy especially, anytime there's a baby around. I tell you, we can't even go through Walmart. If there's a baby anywhere nearby, it's like she has radar. And right, right to the baby and to the mom. Uh, so it's just, it's just a great way to use hospitality. Uh, to serve people we don't know very well. Uh, a second way that we can serve others is by sharing, excuse me, by doing good to others. Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 27 says this, Do not withhold good from those who deserve it when it is in your power to act. So when we have the opportunity, <clears throat> excuse me, and it's in our power to act, we should do good to others. We should be, have our antenna out, so to speak, to hear the needs of others and do good to others. A third way that we can serve others is by, and this follows on number two, and that is by sharing material goods. First uh, John chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. First John chapter 3. Verses 17 and 18, we read this. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. And then verse 17 says, If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. So another way we can serve others is by sharing the blessings of our material goods that God has entrusted to us. And he's entrusted them to us, not just for us to enjoy it. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with enjoying God's material blessings. I remember once one of our professors was telling the story of how uh, at, at seminary, one of our professors was telling the story of how uh, he uh, and his family got a little extra money, and so they bought a stereo system. And uh, today we don't even think about that. You know, we have uh, iTunes. Why do we need stereo systems? But uh, uh, we needed one good speaker, and we're in shape, right? Um, but some people criticized that they would spend their money on this stereo system, but they loved music. They loved music, and so every time they used their stereo system, every time they thought about it, they, uh, they, they blessed God, they thanked God. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with enjoying the material blessings God has given us, 
but he's given them to, to us, not just for ourselves, but for others as well, so we can serve others by sharing material goods. We can serve, another way that we can serve others is by supporting the Lord's work, supporting the Lord's work. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 4, they urgently pleaded with us, that's the Macedonians that Paul's talking about here, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints, and they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. And then verse nine, chapter 9 and verse 1, there is no need for me to write to you about this service to the saints. What Paul is writing about here is a collection for the poor saints in Jerusalem. And the, the uh, people of Corinth were kind of dragging their feet. They were kind of, they, they had promised a lot but they had not followed through on their promise. So Paul was kind of putting their feet to the fire and saying that you need to do that. You need to support uh, other believers. And so uh, supporting the Lord's work, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 4, chapter 9 and verse 1. Romans 14, 19 says that we can serve each other by peace, by being peacemakers. We can serve each other by being peacemakers. I think that's a great service that we can do for one another is to be a peacemaker. Uh, another way that we can serve, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 11 to 15, says that we serve by personal involvement with others. 1 Thessalonians 5, 11 to 15, where we read this. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. Now we ask you, brothers, to respect those who work hard among you, who are over you in the Lord and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard and love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers, warn those who are idle. Encourage the timid. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. I, I like that section uh, where Paul is demonstrating to us that we minister to others by meeting their individual need. For instance, some of these uh, people were idle and they needed to be warned about that. Some were timid and they needed encouragement. They didn't need warning, they needed encouragement. So we, we see here, some were, were weak and needed help. Uh, Paul is saying that minister to people according to what their need is, according to, uh, and sometimes that's a difficult ministry, sometimes it's an easy ministry. It would be difficult to warn somebody who's idle. It would be difficult. Paul didn't shrink back from it. In First and Second Thessalonians, he didn't shrink back from it. Uh, but then somebody who is discouraged, they need somebody to come alongside them and encourage them. So those are ways that we can minister by personal involvement in others' lives. We can minister with others by uh, praying for and witnessing to the lost, by praying for and witnessing to the lost. Uh, we can encourage others. Also by praying for our uh, fellow believers in Jesus Christ. By the way, one way you can do that, I'm sure that, that uh, Steve would love to have more of you on the, prayer, on the prayer chain. You can serve others by praying for them. And all you have to do is uh, talk to Steve and he'll put you on the prayer chain and you'll get a notice when somebody in the church has a need for prayer. And they're usually, in, they're usually uh, uh, 
many times emergency needs. So that's one way that you and I can minister to each other in the prayer chain. On, on hospitality, for instance, if you wanted to minister in hospitality, we have a meal train. Uh, uh, Rachel Thomas is in charge of that. And if you are interested in that, uh, you can, in, on your little flap on your bulletin, just put meal train or uh, meals ministry or put down prayer chain. Uh, and you can minister to other people by providing meals or by praying for others. So these, these are just some ways that, that we can minister to one another by hospitality, by doing good to others, by sharing material goods, by supporting the Lord's work, uh, being a peacemaker, by being personally involved in others' lives and praying for others. There's lots of other ways. I don't have to tell you every way that we could minister. You know that you can lead a Bible study at your home. Uh, just open your home for others to lead a Bible study. I'm sure Chris would love that. Chris was here somewhere. There he is. He would love to hear from you if you'd like to do that. So there are lots of ways that, that you and I can minister to one another. Well, remember Paul back in verse 3 of chapter 28 gathered the pile of brushwood, and as he put it on the fire, a viper driven out by the heat fastened itself to his hand. Uh, now, fortunately, I have never, and, and I almost hesitate to say this, uh, but once or twice in my life encountered, had an encounter with a snake. Uh, I, I am, to put it simply, a wimp. Uh, I am a wimp. But one time when we lived uh, in Arkansas, uh, I went out to mow our lawn, and we had one of those tin sheds that, that uh, they used to sell in those days. And I went out, and I slid the doors open, and I was about to reach in to get something from inside, and I don't know why, but something stopped me. And I stepped back, and when my eyes got used to the darkness inside, I saw this gigantic black snake wrapped around a trellis. And because it was black in Arkansas, we, were, we had a lot of lakes, and black snakes can also often mean what? Water moccasins, cottonmouth. And uh, so, so I quietly backed up a little bit, closed the door, and considered putting the lock on and never opening it again. <laughs> and, and then I realized, well, that's not going to work. Our kids play out here, so that, that's not a good solution. So I called one of our friends and talked about encouragement. And if I have time today, I'll talk, tell you about him uh, also uh, a little later about encouragement. But his name is Jim. And I called him up and said, Jim, I've got this snake here. I don't, I, don't have any, I don't have any way to deal with it. He said, I'll be right there with my machete. <laughs> so <laughs> so uh, uh, meantime, our neighbor across the street was a, a state policeman. And uh, he happened to pull up at about that time. So I went over and said, I, I, I've got a problem. And so he said, he said uh, uh, come on over and show me. Uh, or he came over and I showed him. And he kiddingly said that, that I, he could shoot it. And I said, I don't care what you do with it. <laughs> of course, our neighbor behind us may not have liked having that. 
that shot. But at any rate, he took a rake and lifted it up. It was about six feet long. And uh, we had a gallon pickle jar, and he put it in the gallon pickle jar. And it turned out it wasn't a cottonmouth. It was just a common black snake. But that, that is my encounter. Paul's encounter here is a little more uh, uh, difficult, a little more dangerous. Uh, this, this is a viper that fastened itself on his hand. And when the islanders saw the snake handed for, hanging from his hand, they said to each other, this man must be a murderer, the, for though he escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. But Paul shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no ill effects. The people expected him to swell up or suddenly fall dead, but after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and said he was a god. Now, there are several things that this incident illustrates for us, and uh, more probably than we can get into it uh, in this, this time we have this morning. But it shows us, it illustrates the conscious of, conscience of an unbeliever. The conscience of an unbeliever. In other words, put another way, one writer said, surely the heathen have conscious uh, consciences which accuse them and which teach them that wrong will be punished and that the soul that sins must die. What they lack is not so much a sense of sin as the knowledge of how they can be saved. I think that's a great statement. What unbelievers lack. You know, you often hear people say, what about people who've never heard? What about people who are in the, the farthest reaches of the earth? What about the fact that they have never heard? And how can God judge them uh, if they never had a chance to hear? What the scripture teaches us is that everybody, no matter where they are on earth, they could be in the most remote place in the world, or they could be in the largest city in the world, and they have access to the knowledge about God through two things. Through two things. Number one is conscience. This passage illustrates the knowledge of God through conscience. They knew that... that uh, Interestingly, when Paul first was bitten by the snake, they said he must be a murderer. That showed that they had a sense of conscience. Of, conscience. of course, later on, when Paul didn't die, <laughs> uh, they said, oh, he must be a god. Uh, what a choice, you know, murderer god, murderer god. Um, so uh, unbelievers have conscience. The second thing that every unbeliever in the world has access to with knowledge about God, do you know what it is? Creation. Creation. I don't have time to turn, but if you would turn or write down for your own study Psalm 19. Psalm 19. Creation. Creation evidences the existence of God. So if anybody anywhere on earth, the remotest place, the largest city, if they, through conscience or through a natural revelation, that's what we call the creation, natural revelation, if they, through that, have a sense that there must be a God, God will send them the specific knowledge they need to be saved. God will send them the specific knowledge they need to be saved. Uh, uh, Psalm 19 is one place to look. Uh, Romans chapter uh, 1 is another place to look. 
verse 18 of, one, of chapter 1 of Romans, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what had from what has been made so that men are without excuse. God has made available to every person on earth conscience and natural revelation. And if they respond to those, God will send them specific revelation about Jesus Christ. So we see here uh, the superstition of these people. They thought, for instance, that all wicked people were punished in this life, and yet many are left unpunished, unpunished, and they reject the idea that there is judgment to come. They thought that all who were remarkably afflicted in this life were wicked people, but calamity comes upon the righteous as well as the unrighteous. Calamity comes upon the righteous as well as the unrighteous. Uh, A.T. Robertson, I referred to him earlier, said this, They look on Paul as a doomed man as good as dead. These people thought that calamity was proof of guilt, poor philosophy, and worse theology. Uh, In case you want to look, you'll have to look it up on your own. Luke chapter 13, verses 1 to 5. Luke chapter 13, verses 1 to 5, where Jesus is confronted by unusually dire circumstances that happened to several people. And the question was, did it happen to them because they were great sinners? And Jesus' answer is that all are sinners. All are sinners. uh, It just happens that some experience unusual pain in this life, but all are sinners. And Jesus' point is that it's better to be sure that you are right with God. It's better to be sure that you are right with God. Uh, All must give an account to God. He says people should be fearful, not of those who can kill the body, but of he who can kill the soul. So do business with God. That's what uh, Jesus is saying there in Luke chapter 13. You'll have to, to look that up. Well, the question is here, is Paul a murderer or a god? The answer is neither. He is an ordinary human being who has an extraordinary God. Who has an extraordinary God. Well, another thing that comes out of this is we see the superstitious nature of people. The superstitious nature of people. Uh, Many times, Luke points this out. While what we have here is an example of the sovereign protection of God, the sovereign protection of God, uh, what we see by the reaction of the islanders is that they reacted in a superstitious way. They reacted in a superstitious way. And one thing that Luke has been doing in the book of Acts, and I want you to notice this, is that he has been showing how peoples across the world, whether it's Malta or Rome or Greece or Egypt, people across the world are superstitious and their religion is based upon superstition. Remember what Paul said in Acts chapter 26 and verse 25, 
Paul said Christianity is true and reasonable. Folks, that's what separates Christianity from the superstitious religions of the world is Christianity is true and reasonable. That's Acts 26.25. Christianity is true and reasonable. Now, another thing that comes out of this, and I'll have to deal with it quickly, is this. There are those who try to justify uh, excuse me, Mark chapter 16, the long ending of the book of Mark, which, by the way, is not in the earliest and best manuscripts we have of the Bible, uh, but the long ending that talks about handling snakes, and God will protect you if you handle snakes, and, and therefore we have groups all over the world uh, in the United States as well who handle snakes and uh, who handle venomous snakes. And uh, uh, supposedly God, if they have enough faith, God will protect them. And sometimes, that, by the way, that practice is not biblical. I just want you to know that. Don't run out and get a rattlesnake. It's not biblical. Um, what they do, though, is they justify it on the basis of Paul here. Now, what's, what, what um, automatically puts the lie to that? Paul wasn't doing it on purpose. Paul didn't look for the snake. Paul didn't say, boy, I bet there's a snake in this brush somewhere that I can handle. Paul was, was uh, not deliberately picking up the snake. It, came, it was in a bundle of brush that he picked up. And he was bitten by the snake. So you can't base uh, uh, acts like handling venomous snakes uh, Mark chapter 16, you can't base it on this passage. Well, we read on. There was an estate nearby that belonged to Publius, the chief official of the island. He welcomed us to his home and for three days entertained us hospitably. He was the Roman governor, apparently, of the island, and uh, he entertained them for several days hospitably. His father was sick in bed, suffering from fever and dysentery. Paul went in to see him, and after prayer, placed his hand on him and healed him. Now, you will remember that we studied earlier, and I don't want to go over that ground again, but we studied earlier that healings in the book of Acts, miracles in the book of Acts, uh, had a revelatory purpose to reveal who Jesus Christ was, to reveal uh, his character to reveal his purpose. It had an accreditation effect that it is accredited Jesus as the Messiah. And then it had an identification effect in that the apostles who did the same kinds of miracles, healing miracles, uh, Paul and Peter each raised a person from the dead, were uh, they did that to identify with Jesus' person and with Jesus' uh, ministry. And so it had that identification uh, purpose as well. Well, verse 9 tells us, when this is, had happened, the rest of the sick on the island came and were cured. They honored us in many ways, and we were, when we were ready to sail, they furnished us with the supplies we needed. Now, interestingly, the healing of the father of Publius uh, is clearly considered a miraculous healing. 
Whereas the word used in verse 9 of the, those who came following his miraculous cure or his miraculous uh, healing, those who came later, the scripture says, were cured. It's a different Greek word. And it could mean that Paul supernaturally healed Publius, Publius's father, whereas the others were treated by Luke. Because uh, the word used there uh, in verse uh, uh, 9, they were cured, has the idea of being treated by somebody, thera therapeutically being treated. Uh, so we, we don't know, but it may have been a combination of Paul healing people miraculously and Dr. Luke, remember Luke is a doctor, Dr. Luke uh, healing them through his uh, therapeutic skills. Well, verse 11, after three months we put out to sea in a ship that had wintered in the island. They spent the winter in Malta, and then when it was safe to start traveling again, they got onto a ship, an Alexandrian ship, it tells us, with the figurehead of the twin gods, Castor and Pollux. Now again, uh, that was another reference Luke is trying to explain again, that people across the world uh, their religion is based upon superstition. The reason that they had these figureheads is because they were supposed to be good for sailors. And so that's the reason they had these figureheads, to bring them good luck. They were, to, they were uh, supposed to be the twin sons of Zeus and Leda. And once again, Luke is pointing out the superstition of, of the world's religions versus Christianity which is true, and Christianity, which is reasonable. Well, we put in at Syracuse, stayed there three days. From there, we set sail and arrived at Regium. The next day, the south wind came up, and on the following day, we reached uh, Petulio. Uh, there, we found some brothers who invited us to spend a week with them, and so we came to Rome. Paul finally gets the desire of his heart to share the gospel in Rome. He finally gets to Rome. The brothers there had heard that we were coming and they traveled as far as the Forum of Appius and the three taverns to meet us. At the sight of those men, Paul thanked God and was encouraged. The last thing I want us to see in this passage is the power of encouragement. The power of encouragement. What a, what a tremendous power encouragement is. Paul looked at that them and was encouraged. And one writer said, in a narrative filled with accounts of power, miraculous deliverance, and divine intervention, this is perhaps the greatest power the Christian faith puts at the disposal, the disciples' disposal, the power of brothers and sisters in the church, one of the greatest gifts to us in the church. In other words, the power of encouragement, the power that you have in your hands to encourage another believer is, is as great as any other miraculous power. It's an amazing thing. Paul was encouraged. It means to gain courage, to be given courage uh, is, is the word there. And Paul was encouraged by them uh, coming to see him uh, looking forward to hearing what he had to say. Um, 
One writer said, one of the highest of human duties is the duty of encouragement. It's easy to pour cold water on enthusiasm. It's easy to discourage others. others. The world is full of discouragers. We have a Christian duty to encourage one another. Many a time, a word of, of praise or thanks or appreciation or cheer has kept a person on his feet. This, Paul was encouraged by that. Let me quickly close. Uh, I mentioned our friend Jim from Arkansas earlier, who uh, today is in heaven. Um, when Kathy was pregnant with our first son, Tim, uh, when her water broke and, and labor began, uh, we eventually got to the hospital, and she was in labor for many, 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 many hours. And uh, finally, after I don't know how many hours of labor, uh, the doctor came to us and said, we're going to have to take the baby by C-section because he's in distress. And, uh, and uh, so in those days, you know, today it's really amazing. You can be in the operating room with your wife during, <laughs> during a C-section surgery and be right there with them. Well, in this hospital and in that day, uh, you couldn't. And it was already late in the day. It was 5 or 6 o'clock. And they came in, they took Kathy, and they, they wheeled her off to the operating room. And uh, they sent me to the waiting room. And by that time, nobody else was in the waiting room. And uh, I don't think I have been as fearful or as scared in my life uh, as I sat there wondering what was going to happen to Kathy and Tim or both of them. And um, I called her family, called my family asking for prayer and uh, called the people of our church there. We'd only been there about three months and asked for prayer. And uh, after a time, uh, they came out and, and I, I felt so alone. I was there in that room with nobody else. And uh, they came out and had Timothy in his bassinet. And uh, I got to go with him to the nursery. And I got to spend some time with him because Kathy had, had a, uh, uh, anesthesia. And, and it, wasn't, uh, it was a kind of puts you out for hours. And uh, I got to stand there and tell Tim that uh, his mother couldn't be there at the moment because she was out, but that she loved him. And uh, I got to spend some time with him. But the thing that wasn't most encouraging of all is I happened to look up and look out the windows, you know, they have at the nursery, and there was Jim. I know what Paul felt like. I know what Paul felt like. We can encourage others. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for the encouragement of believers. Thank you for the encouraging people in this church. Thank you for the servants we see among us. May you help us to serve more in Jesus' name. Amen.